You're listening to the Heritage Ag Solutions Podcast here in Monmouth, Illinois. It's currently late January as we record this, and as we have flipped the calendar to 2022, we have an exciting announcement that we'd like to share with our listeners and growers. That announcement is that in addition to representing Golden Harvest for Warren and Henderson counties, we are joining Midwest Grass and Forage as a part of their dealer network. So through this, we will now have access to hundreds of products for your operation, including pasture grasses, cover crops, turf, food plot, seed, and much more. It's something we're really excited about. So today, I was able to visit with Laura Lant from Midwest and talk a little bit specifically about cover crops. I hope you enjoy our conversation. All right, today we are sitting down with Laura Lant from Midwest Grass and Forage in Macomb. So Laura, I'll go ahead and let you get started by introducing yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, Midwest Grass Forage. Absolutely. Well, happy to be with you guys today. We are looking forward to having you guys become part of our dealer network going forward. Midwest Grass and Forage is a small seed company based in Macomb, Illinois. My family has owned the business for about seven years. We offer several hundred different products focusing mostly on small seed. So things like forages, cover crops, pasture seeds, summer annuals, turf seed, all of those are accessible through us and our dealer network. We also carry some unique products to suit organic operations, ice melt in the wintertime, equipment, food plot seed. We have a wide array of products that we cover and are able to offer. So we sell direct to some farmers in our local area, but most of our sales go through our partners at Dealer Networks. We like that relationship because they have a lot more familiarity with their customers' farms and operations to better understand their needs and what products will work on on their soils. So our seed is sourced from all over the country and in a few places outside of the country. So a lot of the small seed in the U.S. and around the world is grown in the Willamette Valley out in Oregon. It's a unique valley between two mountain ranges south of Portland. So they are protected from the climate and have very low humidity. So a lot of forages, turf grasses, etc. can be grown there and have very high germination rates and good yields. So we source products from companies out there. We source alfalfa direct from the growers in Idaho and Wisconsin. Our grains come from the Great Plains and Canada. Occasionally we'll grow grain out of Illinois with local farmers, but the germination and quality sometimes there are a little bit challenging and inconsistent. And then we get some summer annuals from southern states, Oklahoma, Texas, etc. And once in a while, we'll have product come in from Europe or South America or even Australia. So it's very interesting to see where all the seed that we use comes from. Okay, so you've given me enough to ask questions for the next couple of hours, at least. So hopefully in the future, we'll have you back on. But my questions for you today would be revolving around cover crops. Uh, I was first exposed to Midwest Grass and Forage when you came and spoke at a soil health class I was involved in. So um, let's kind of spend the next few minutes talking about cover crops and and applications. Um, I guess just to kind of start things off, the customers that buy cover crop seed from you or your dealer network, what, what are the benefits they're receiving from cover crops? What are they using that for? 
So there are a lot of potential benefits for cover crops. And I think the biggest misconception is that it's one size fits all. You can't just go and throw out what your neighbor's throwing out and expect to have success. Um, the folks who are successful with cover crops, they have a plan for what they want to accomplish and how they're going to accomplish it. Some things that cover crops can do include pulling nutrients back up from deeper in the soil profile so that they're available for the next crop. Certain cover crops are very good at relieving compaction. Others may help with reducing erosion or suppressing weeds. Almost every variety of cover crop is good at improving organic matter and building soil health. Um, so there's a lot of different potential benefits that you can gain, but not every crop can do everything. So it's important to determine what you're looking for and think about what you can do to manage it before choosing a cover crop. So some cover crops are winter kill options. So you put them on in the summer, in the fall, and they get terminated with a freeze or a frost. And then you don't have to worry about managing them in the spring. Other cover crops are going to need to be terminated in the spring and require a little bit more detailed management. So each farm and operation is going to have different needs and what cover crops work for them and how to go about selecting them. So I know you played with some cover crops last year, Justin. Can you refresh us on what your situation was and what you were looking for? Yeah, so um, it was a field that had been corn for three years. It'd be rotating into soybeans, and um, there are some hills to it that, um, you know, not not steep, uh, rotable um, hills, but just enough that when you get a hard pounding rain, you can sit there on the road and watch some topsoil, you know, leave. And so um, just looking to improve organic matter, general soil health, and then when we do get those big downpours, help with erosion control. So, um, you know, we met at your office and looked at cereal rye because that's kind of the easy button, right? That's maybe a first step for, for most beginners. And uh, why is that? Tell us, tell us the attributes about cereal rye. Why is that a good first step? So cereal rye is generally the first thing that we go to. It's great following corn going to soybeans. So it's going to be economical. Most of the time, the cost is going to stay between 20 and $30 an acre, depending on the rate you're putting it on at. And it can be planted late. It can be planted well into October and even into November with a high rate of success. So it's very easy to establish with a high success rate and cost effective. So for guys just getting started, it checks a lot of boxes. In addition to that, it's a pretty good cover crop. It's going to be very good on weed suppression, especially with things like mare's tail. It's going to have a nice root system to help hold soil in place and pull nutrients back up. It will help with drainage. It will relieve some compaction. So outside of fixing nitrogen, it offers a lot of cover crop benefits. So it's a very, very good starter cover crop. The biggest thing is it can be a problem when we go and put it in front of corn. So we like to see it in front of soybeans getting started. As you learn more to manage cover crops, it may have a place in front of corn, but there are other options that tend to be less problematic. So for a first year like what you guys did, it was an ideal option. Mm -hmm. And along with that cereal rye, we also blended dwarf Essex rape and then some camelina, which is new at least uh, to you or ex being exposed to it. Absolutely. We're very excited about 
the camelina. So the mix you put in had dwarf Essex rape, which is going to be a member of the brassica family. So it's like turnips or radishes, has a taproot with some above ground growth. It is going to be good on the weed suppression side. It will be good at relieving compaction and just improving overall soil health. It's got a really unique position in the fact that there's almost a quarter of a million seeds per pound. So a couple pounds of seed per acre is very cheap and it gets you nice coverage that way. So it's a way to keep a mix cost effective. Downside of dwarf Essex rape is that it almost always winter kills. There may be 10 to 20% of the time that a few plants live, but it's fairly rare. The other one we threw in your mix is also a brassica. Winter camelina is a new species for us to play with. It is going to be a winter hardy brassica. So it has been grown up in the Wisconsin and Minnesota areas for a few years and they're finding it to be just as hardy as what the cereal rye is. So the benefit of that is having a brassica out there longer will help to improve the organic matter and the soil health even more than a winter kill brassica, as well as promoting improved weed resistance and everything like that. So there's a lot of benefits. We're very excited to see how the camelina overwinters and think that it may have a very big play in the future. Okay, so you, you'd said cereal rye to stay away from that uh, ahead of corn, at least initially, for, for if you're new to cover crops. So what would you recommend? What is a good fit ahead of corn? Absolutely. So I'm going to back up just a little mm-hmm. bit there. As we kind of get talking with guys who are new to cover crops, my big thing that I like to promote is making sure that we don't go and get the cart ahead of the horse. I like to have guys pick one or two fields to start with but commit to doing them for multiple years. A lot of times we have people who get really, really excited and bought in on cover crops and they go and change the whole farm overnight. And very few times have I seen that work out. It's a lot of additional workload. It's an entirely new management style and there's a risk of failure. So I'd much rather see people pick one or two fields and know that there are going to be some learning curves along the way. And I will say, I did have a prior experience with cover crops through the Illinois Corn Growers Program, and we had flown on oats, I believe. And at the time, I did not know anything about cover crops. It was a one-year experiment. And at the end of it, I was like, what have I was supposed to have done? What did I gain from that? All I knew is that I was writing a check. In the fall, there was oats, but they were winter kill. And then there's no tangible benefit. So this is not a one-year flip a switch, and you're going to see improvements. It's a multi-year uh, system-wide commitment. Yep. We like to look at this as a system a system change because that's truly what it is. I mean, you have to make certain sacrifices to make this work and to be able to balance it. But generally, once guys see it work for three or four years, you don't see a lot of people quit cover crops if you learn how to manage them and are successful. So ideal situation would be starting kind of like what you did, a field going to beans. That first year, a small cereal rye mix or even just cereal rye alone is a great option. It's going to be economical. It's pretty easy to manage. If you do just cereal rye or other crops that are winter killed in with it, you can plant green into it and not have to worry about relying on herbicide to kill it before you plant. In the situation where you have the camelina and everything, I think we'll be able to get away with doing the same thing there. So you can run the planter into the standing cover crop and either wait and terminate it with a roller crimper or be able to follow it the planter with a sprayer and kill it that way. So you've got a lot of options that way going to beans. Ideally, that would be year one. Year two, you'd be going back to corn 
choosing a cover crop ahead of corn is a little bit more of a challenge because we're looking for a cover crop that will not hurt the corn yield. So we want to make sure we don't have something out there that will compete with it and tie up a lot of nitrogen. Good options would include oats and radish, or if we want something that would overwinter, we could do annual ryegrass with a legume, so something that would fix some nitrogen for the corn crop. Or we could do something like barley, which would be a winter-hardy grain and allow us to plant a little bit later. So generally, those would be the first couple years of a cover crop rotation. And then the third or fourth year, we would start getting a little bit more intensive. We would pick some, some more species, probably do a three- or four-way mix, trying to have a grass, a legume, and a brassica so that we have multiple things out there to enhance soil health quicker. Is there enough time between fall seeding and the spring for that legume to fix nitrogen? Like, is you're gaining benefit from that? So the way I look at legumes in a mix is most years, yes, you're going to get some nitrogen. Are you going to get enough nitrogen to be able to cut back on fertilizer the first or second year? Probably not. Um, Every year is a little bit different and when we can get into the fields and plant. So I look at a mix, let's say, for instance, 15 pounds of annual ryegrass with 10 pounds of hairy vetch and two or three pounds of turnips or radish as a complete mix. You have a species of a grass, a legume, and a brassica. You're hoping to get a lot of different benefits that way. If we have a year like 2019 and you just can't get in the field to plant and we let that cover crop go until late May, early June, that legume probably fixed 150 to 170 pounds of nitrogen, with probably 50 to 70 percent of that being available for the following crop. If we have the ideal spring and you can get out there and plant April 10th, April 15th, you probably only got 15 to 20 pounds of nitrogen, but you still got a lot of root absorption where you pulled other minerals and nutrients up in the soil. You fed the microbes in the soil. They had a root source to feed on all winter, so you improved your soil organic matter. You prevented some weeds, so you still probably got enough benefit to justify the cover crop. You just got to plant at the ideal time frame, but you didn't get the full nitrogen benefit. So you mentioned 2019, and when I say cover crops and specifically cereal rye, a lot of guys might have a mental image of the horror stories that they see of um, chest-high rye, Uh, It gets too tall, gets out of control. Can you kind of speak to that issue and how we can manage around that? So chest-high rye in front of corn is a recipe for disaster. Chest-high rye in front of soybeans, I have had guys see no noticeable yield hit with that. Um, Once cereal rye goes into boot stage, it really enters a period of very, very rapid growth. The carbon to nitrogen ratio gets a lot higher. It takes a lot longer to break down and those nutrients do not come available for the following crop. Not having those nutrients available does not seem to hurt a soybean crop, but it can have a dramatic impact on a corn crop. In that situation of 2019, if you were going to corn after cereal rye, you would have wanted to get it killed at least a couple weeks before you planted and have lots of supplemental nitrogen out there before V6. If you were going to soybeans, Cereal rye in 2019 was a great thing. It acted as a sponge. It helped dry those soils out. You were able to get the planter in there in a very timely manner compared to fields that didn't have cover crop and have a lot better yields than some of the later planted fields. So there's there's two sides to everything. 
Big Cereal Raya Hedda Corn Scares Me, Big Cereal Raya Hedda Beans is actually a recipe for success. Okay, and with cereal rye, you already mentioned you can plant it green or spray it, and you need to wait long enough for it to dry and be crispy and and crunchy. Um, Halfway between, it'll wrap on the planter. Is that correct? Yes. So planting green into it seems to be a really good option for most planter setups. I will be the first person to admit I am not an equipment expert, so talk to your, your equipment rep and get their feedback. Chances are they have somebody running equipment similar to yours who has tried it, and they know what cultures and everything else you need to be able to make it work. But planting into a cereal rye crop that is in that yellowish stage from when you've sprayed it to not fully dead, we have had a lot of stuff wrap. So my ideal situation would be either plan to kill it a couple weeks before you go back into it or plant into it green and either follow it with a post application or a roller crimper just to knock it down. We have found more and more guys liking to run the roller crimper through, even if they've already planted, just because a lot of times being able to crimp it and get that seed head lower to the ground, you don't end up with any cross-contamination. Generally not a big issue to have some fully mature rye grain in soybeans, but if you have a non-GMO soybean contract, there are a few restrictions on gluten, so being able to roll it afterwards helps to make sure you don't run into any dock. Okay. And um, we haven't talked about application yet, but there's multiple methods of getting that cover crop seed into the field, right? Aerial, drill. What what do you see from your customers? Every year's a little different depending on how much goes on one way or another. 2021 seemed to be one of the bigger aerial application years just because prices were a little bit better. Everyone felt they had a few more dollars to spend. And we knew that harvest was trending on time or even a smidge to the late side. So last year, there were a lot of acres go on aerial. On top of that, we were getting some rain there in the midsummer time frame, and that can be a deciding factor. On dry years, a lot of guys decide that we're just not getting the moisture, so let's wait and drill it. My personal thought is that aerial application is a very valuable tool. Um, if it comes down to aerial application at the right time versus having to wait until late October, early November to plant, I would much rather have the extra growth, even knowing that we're going to sacrifice a little bit of a stand. A good aerial application stand is probably equivalent to 75 to 80% of the stand with a drill. So we know we're sacrificing a little bit there, and we occasionally have to bump rates up on the aerial side, so there's a bit more expense. But an extra three weeks worth of growth in September is exceptionally valuable and can be the difference between success and failure. And it's about knowing your crop, right? You get too late into the harvest season, cereal rye might be your only option as far as germination. Absolutely. Once we start to get past October 1, a lot of species that winter kill are off the table. Once we start to get past October 15th for this area, legumes, annual ryegrass, the chance of success really goes downhill. Okay. And let's talk about supply for 2022. You know, here already we're looking, we're talking about application in the fall and getting that seed out there. But already you're seeing supply chain issues. Who isn't with COVID and, and various uh, factors going on? But talk about supply and, and what we have available for the coming year. So 2022 is going to have a lot of challenges. Um, I think we're all getting used to the store being out of certain things and having to switch to an off-brand or something like that. But in the seed industry, sometimes it's not just switching to an off-brand. It may be switching to an entirely different crop or 
not really having an option to fill in. So there will be some definite supply challenges this year. I feel like we're positioned very well for how the industry is set up. But even there, I don't have as much as we would like to have certain products. So in general, I feel that clovers, waterway mix, most forage mixes are going to be okay for spring. Certain specific varieties may be a little bit of a challenge. We're used to offering three or four types of Timothy or fescue. This year, we're probably only going to have two options of each to choose from. So a little bit smaller selection, but I hope we'll be okay there. The folks who order early and plan ahead are far more likely to get the seed that they desire and hopefully be able to get it at a lot more cost-effective price versus those who drag their feet um, may not get their first choice. Cover crops for fall, it's still a little too early to know how some stuff will work out. The species that will be harvested in the June, July, August timeframe, we're hopeful for a bountiful harvest. If that occurs, I don't foresee shortages there, but there's not a lot in the warehouse or industry-wide warehouses of carryovers. So if we have another short crop, we could be could be looking at a struggle. Um, current relations with COVID and Canada are playing a role in this as well. Um, getting trucks across the border from Canada may be a bit more challenging than we've seen in the past. So I have a feeling a better chunk of cover crop seed will be coming out of the Great Plains than Canada just due to that. Um, so I don't want to sit here and say it's time to get everything ordered. But if you're someone who does a fair amount of cover crops every year, make sure you're going ahead and talking to your supplier and getting your needs covered if you know what you need. And as far as first steps, we already talked about uh, good recommendations for crops to plant, cereal rye ahead of beans, and then oats or other options ahead of corn. But also you have a website that people can turn to as a resource, right? Absolutely. So www.midwestgrass.com. We have a cover crop page on that website that you can check out. They are also able to reach out directly to you, Justin, and get your info. You've got some brochures and everything here. Um, some planting rates and whatnot, and I'm sure you guys will have a link up on your website soon too. Yep, looking forward to it. So thank you for your time. Is there any other questions I haven't asked, or what would you like to leave the listeners with? I think that is a, a good plan. So the the biggest advice I can give with cover crops in general is start small, but commit to it for three years so you get to take a good look at everything, and don't be afraid to ask questions and get outside your comfort zone. Now, something you just said, we were talking about system-wide. What about no-till? Do they have to be no-till to be a cover crop? And, and how does that work together? Or are they separate? They can be separate. So most guys who do cover crops tend to go the no-till route. But there are guys who will put a cover crop in, either something that winter kills, or they will want to till it in the spring and do their strip till into it. There's a lot of different options for any farming system out there that can work. Um there's no one-size-fits-all approach, so if someone wants to try the benefits, reach out and we'll come up with a plan that'll work with their operation. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Laura. All right, that does it for today. As always, thanks for listening to our content. As you look ahead to the coming growing season, reach out to us with any questions regarding up our line of seeds or any other needs that you might have. You can shoot us an email at heritageagseeds at gmail.com, or you can always call me, Justin, at 309-337-9081. We are Heritage Ag Solutions, helping you leave a legacy that lasts. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>